George Kirkpatrick, inspiration for the nation, celebrating people you feel good about. Clemmy Harris is a candidate for New York 22, the 22nd Congressional District. Now, you might say, well, that race isn't until next year. But Clem, as he is affectionately known as, uh, would like you to know a little bit about his background as the Democrats vie for the right to challenge current incumbent Brandon Williams. So, Clem, uh, you have a background. You're currently a professor at Utica, Utica College. You uh, have a background as a police officer. Tell us a little bit about why the, 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 the great residents of the newly constructed 22nd Congressional District, it's not new now, but it was new when it was, you know, a few years ago when he first ran. Uh, tell right. us about why, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Right. So first, um, uh, Brother Kirkpatrick, thank you very much for inviting me uh, to come on your show. Um, I very much appreciate being able to have this conversation with you, uh, your listeners, and potentially uh, the voters of, of New York's 22nd Congressional District. I want to first say that even though this is a regional election, it's a regional election with national importance. So even if you don't live in the 22nd um, New York Congressional District, this matters because this district is one of the five that can affect the balance of power between the uh, Republicans and the Democrats in the House of Representatives. Uh, so this is a regional election with national significance. Let me continue by saying, first and foremost, I am fundamentally a uh, working class kid from upstate New York. I grew up in Buffalo, uh, New York. Um, I have a lifelong uh, uh, career in, in public service. Um, I uh, grew up with uh, working class parents in a community that started off um, racially diverse, but within a few years became hyper racially segregated for anyone who has lived in a upstate urban uh, uh, community or in what we call urban Rust Belt communities, you know this story very well. It is a story of deindustrialization. It is a story of the ways in which uh, the, uh, the great uh, generation, the baby boomers who grew up in the post-World War II economy uh, began to find that opportunities in manufacturing disappeared. Urban communities began to struggle. Communities began to struggle. In fact, it is that whole process that really ignited uh, my interest in activism. Uh, being a child who studied the civil rights movement, um, I began to see how uh, themes of the civil rights movement were playing themselves out in my community. And I became very active in grassroots politics at that particular age. As you stated, um, Brother George, I do have a background in law enforcement. I am formerly a road trooper with the New York State Police, former criminal investigator, but I'm also a former combat trained drill sergeant in the U.S. Army Reserve. I've had the great pleasure of serving with uh, Governor David Patterson, uh, the first African-American and legally blind governor of the state of New York. And I am currently uh, the director, the inaugural director of Africana Studies at Utica University and an associate professor of history. 
Yeah, I, I said Utica College. I meant, uh, and thank you for that. It is Utica University now. Uh, you did change your name. You're the UU now. <laughs> we are the UU. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are the UU. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, you hear the Howard University, they go HU, you know, now you got to go UU. UU. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to take some getting used to now. Brother. I know, right? Because we so used to say you see. Right. So, um, and, and, and so you're the inaugural professor of the Department of Africana Studies at Unica, Utica University. Right. And, and what did you, so I'm trying to figure out when you became a professor at Utica University and you were also uh, a, a veteran in the U.S. Army Reserves and a trooper, um, I'm trying to figure out how you had time to be all of those things. Well, let me first say that um, my parents instilled in us purpose. Time mm -hmm. was a precious resource. Yeah, They came from the Jim Crow South. Um, my mother's family is in part from the Delta region of Mississippi. Uh, and uh, her father's side um, is from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my father's family is from Tuscaloosa, Alabama and Birmingham. Um, you know, working class culture was deeply embedded in their consciousness. Uh, they passed that to us, their children. Uh, they also uh, made sure that education was at the forefront of all that we did. Um, and they also inculcated in us a culture of, of accountability. Uh, so I started off very early uh, going into uh, the military. In fact, um, uh, my earliest um, uh, involvement in the military began shortly after I got involved in grassroots politics in Buffalo, New York. Um, uh, after uh, that, I continued to be active um, in the U.S. Army Reserve, eventually going to the active Army field sergeant school, and by God's grace, emerging as a distinguished uh, drill sergeant, uh, having been able to take 50% of the awards that they give. Um, I was a road trooper in the uh, New York State Police, and I joined the State Police in 1986. Um, and I continued to be with the State Police until the late uh, 1990s. Uh, I retired from the State Police in the late 1990s. And I went back to school um, thinking that I was going to sort of uh, continue what had been a long held aspiration of following in the footsteps of Thurgood Marshall. I wanted to be a civil rights attorney. Uh, it is when I uh, returned to school, I was enrolled in SUNY Albany in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I met uh, one of the most influential individuals in my academic career who was not only a mentor, uh, but also someone who was my thesis advisor. And he said, look, I think you're gonna get into any top law school in the country, make a lot of money, but I think you are much more of an academic. He was right. Um, I eventually uh, completed a BA MA in four years, two degrees and one full uh, scholarships or fellowships, I should say, to some of the nation's most um, uh, distinguished uh, institutions of higher learning. I selected the University of Pennsylvania um, and uh, the rest is history uh, from there. 
I will tell you that- What's the history from there? What's the rest of this history? Well, the, well, in the sense that uh, while at the University of Pennsylvania, I, uh, I not only uh, took a PhD in uh, Africana studies, excuse me, in history, in uh, Africana studies uh, and in urban studies. Um, I also uh, was able to, it's during this particular period, quite frankly, that I'm first asked to consider running for Congress uh, by a very good friend and now departed mentor. His name is Harry Corbett, who was the first African-American to be confirmed by the New York State Senate as superintendent of the New York State Police. Prior to that elevation, he uh, spoke with me and said, I want you to consider running for Congress because you have a distinguished military career, distinguished career in law enforcement, and you're the only one of us who, who has made it to a doctoral degree and what you're studying um, well, uh, is extremely important. Well, I find it interesting that you said I went to UPenn and the rest is history. I'm like, well, what history? It wasn't <laughs> like we, you did get your PhD from UPenn. I think that's not just something to gloss over, just FYI. But um, I, um, I, I'm interested in why you want to, given that background, um, and here's what you said to me. I'm going to name it. You said that this candidacy for you uh, is, a, is a calling. I want it's to call it that. That that, and so when I when I hear that, that means that you. I also look at that as anointing, right? I have been. This is what I've been uh, called to do, right? Um, and so, for the voters of the New York twenty two who will have to choose you among other people, uh, why should the folks of Madison, Onondaga, um, and uh, Slither of Oswego County? Um, decide that you're calling in Oneida County, uh, why should they, why should they give you that shot? Because while you might feel the call to do that, this is a very, very diverse district with a lot of diverse needs from rural, rural to suburban to hardcore city. You got a lot on this to, 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 to consider and a lot of divergent issues. So, why are you running? Yeah, so let me let me first say thank you very much for that question. It is a calling for me. Um, I have been asked, um, as I said, from 2007, uh, intermittently up until uh, most recently to run for office, but I uh, did not. I politely declined um, because I, at heart, am a public servant and never believed that I needed elected office to run for um, uh, uh, to do public service, to do the work of the people. Um, May 14, 2022, was a turning point for me. Uh, on that particular day, 10 people went into a top supermarket in the Cold Spring section of Buffalo, New York, the community that I was born in, the community that my mother attends church in, the community that many of my family and friends still reside in. They went into that top supermarket um, seeking to effectuate their own individual agendas and they did not make it out alive. What is interesting uh, beyond the horror 
of that uh, massacre is that my mother and my aunt were scheduled to be in that store at the time that that massacre occurred. Yet for God's grace, and I say this with great humility and still mourning for those who lost their lives, yet for God's grace, they were not there because their schedule changed. Uh, I am my mother's and my aunt's caregiver. Just the day before I had been in Buffalo, they are my golden girls. I go there frequently to take care of them if they need to go shopping. If whatever it is that they need to do, I do that for them. Um, I had to return on Saturday, else I would have driven them there, but I had scheduled to send them to the top supermarket in an Uber. Their schedule changed hours before, uh, and I did not send that Uber. Um, but it was very, very um, surreal for me to see what happened and to realize how close my mother and my aunt came to that. But it doesn't stop there. Two days after that terrorist attack, thinking that it was safe to send my mother and my aunt grocery shopping, I sent them to a Walmart supercenter in an adjacent town, uh, a town that I believed would be safe for them. Within an hour of being there, my mother contacted me frantically pleading with me to get her and my aunt out because that store had been targeted, essentially. A credible threat, which I verified with the town of Amherst Police Department, had been had been uh, had targeted that Walmart supercenter with the same type of terroristic threat that had happened at uh, the top supermarket. It didn't just that terrorist threat didn't just hit um, the Walmart uh, supercenter. It also hit Wegmans and a few other soft locations that had um, uh, well-established reputations for large amounts of Black and Brown consumers. These events left me asking myself, is there more that I can do? As I said, I am a former combat trained drill sergeant. I know ordnance, I know uh, assault weapons. I've trained American soldiers on the M16A1 semi-automatic and automatic uh, rifle. I am a former road trooper, a former criminal investigator with the New York State Police. Uh, if there's anything that I understand, it is weapons and the importance of public safety. That is one of the core reasons why I am here. I'm also here because I have been increasingly watching threats against democracy, uh, particularly voting rights, uh, women's right to have full autonomy over their body. Uh, attacks against uh, labor interest, attacks against the environment. Um, these are issues that are extremely important to me. These are issues that I discuss in my academic uh, role as a professor. Uh, these are issues that I have discussed in my scholarship. Um, so, it will be important. Yeah, well, I, I get all of that, but I wanna know why when voters have, they're gonna have some choices, Yes. Right? Uh, assume, well, first of all, somebody's going to get nominated by the Democrat. You're, you're seeking a Democratic nomination. I should at least start with that. Uh, so somebody's going to get nom nominated. And so why, given what these various districts are looking for, I ask again, why will voters choose you 
over anyone else that's running. What are you bringing to the table and what are your core issues? You said, I, I, I guess, reducing violence is one, protecting women's rights, two. What are your core issues? Why are you running? Yeah, well, this is an extremely important point that you raised. Let me also say that I have an experience in governing, right? Um, I have dealt with issues involving police reform. Mm -hmm. um, I have addressed issues involving stop and frisk. I have uh, worked with the governor and took a leading role on eliminating the Rockefeller drug laws, which gave the nation mass incarceration. Uh, during the Great Recession, I expanded opportunities for women, uh, uh, for minority women and business-owned enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, equally important, because New York has more than a half a million small businesses, when the Great Recession hit, I established a small uh, business revolving loan fund that opened up a non-traditional tributary to ensure that, that small businesses could continue to make payroll to keep them their doors open. I have a strong background uh, in governing. In addition to that, on the issues, you talk about diverse issues, you're absolutely right. Uh, the urban is different than the suburban and the suburban is different than the rural. I believe very strongly that we have reached a point when it is now time to begin to develop comprehensive strategies for each ecosystem. We need to deal with comprehensive uh, a comprehensive strategy for urban, for the urban environment. We need not to the detriment, I might say, to the suburbs or, or the rural, uh, because they have concerns that are distinguishable from the urban and the. So again, I don't want to interrupt, but you said uh, that the, the district is very different. Suburb, city, uh, continue. Right. What I'm what I'm basically saying is that you're absolutely correct in your framing. There are very complex issues within the district. The urban is different than the suburban. The suburban is different than the rural. Um, and I believe that uh, there, we we have reached a point where it is now essential for us to develop complex strategies to address the diversity of the issues that the district has. Um, and I believe that I have a strong background to be able to do just that. You you, you talked about governing. Where, when did you have a chance to govern? Well, when I talk about governing, I'm talking about operating at the highest levels of governance as an assistant to Governor David Patterson. Okay. I took leadership in many of the policy issues that became the hallmark of his time in uh, as governor in the state of New York. And, and your position with him was what? My position was him, with him was essentially that of a senior advisor. Senior advisor, got it. And and so, so looking at some of the issues, I'm thinking about like what's, I'm gonna kind of start with what we're seeing right now, right? And, and one of those obviously is, and you mentioned this earlier, gun, comprehensive gun reform, uh, which, you know, you think about that top shooting, we've not been able to get that no matter what. What we get from Congress's thoughts and prayers, and there seemingly has been little uh, opportunity for either house to come up with a comprehensive gun legislation. And what would that look like that for 
legal gun owners protects their right to bear arms, but also uh, gets guns off the street. Right. So that's a really great point. Let me uh, let me first say that anyone who has seen my campaign video will know that uh, taking on on gun violence is a leading issue um, that I uh, put out before voters and supporters. And I do believe that we can have reasonable um, uh, gun reform. Um, let me also preface my response by saying, I come from uh, the military, I come from law enforcement, two uh, institutions that are deeply steeped in gun culture. I'm not going after people who lawfully own weapons. I am saying very, very clearly that the AR-15 extended magazines that carry more than 10 rounds do not belong on the streets of America. This is not a gun rights issue. This is a public safety issue. I am not anti-gun rights. I am pro-public safety. Mm -hmm. uh, let me also put this into context before I go further. Uh, I was on the state police at the time when the war on drugs kicked in. I started with a, as did the rest of us, with a, uh, a six-shot 357 revolver. Within, by the early 90s, we were no longer using the 357. We were now uh, upgrading to semi-automatic pistols. That was a direct response to being outmatched by violent drug dealers who had semi-automatic and automatic weaponry. In fact, it was the uh, violent drug dealers using that type of weaponry that triggered an arm race that therefore caused the state police and other law enforcement agencies to scale up. If we don't have reasonable gun uh, law reform that bans the AR-15, that bans the extended magazine that carries more than 10 rounds, we are essentially calling for another arms race that will cause the escalation of arms yet again, right? And these weapons are not just a threat uh, to people in, who have and attend soft targets, schools, um, uh, grocery stores, uh, temples, whatever churches, whatever you want to call uh, in terms of where they happen to go. They're also a threat to law enforcement. Uh, George, I want to also want to say that the key word here is reasonable. What is reasonable? Mm -hmm. Is it reasonable to have a weapon that does the type of damage that an AR-15 does? I would argue that it is not reasonable, right? And so we're looking for that which is reasonable because every citizen in this country has a reasonable expectation that when they step outside their doors, they will be able to come back in the same way in which they left. They have a, or, or should have a reasonable expectation to public safety. The final mm -hmm. thing, that, the final point that I will make is that comprehensive background checks is another key component of, of my ideas for reasonable gun law reform and holding gun manufacturers and gun dealers responsible for the illegal guns that are on the street, which cause such incredible damage, not only in terms of uh, the damage that taxpayers have to cause, uh, to have to pay, but also the trauma that is experienced by people in communities who lose loved ones. 
This to me is reasonable. This to me is a debate that we as a nation absolutely need to have because the status quo simply cannot go further. Some argue, um, talking with Clem Harris, Clemmy, uh, um, but Clem for short, Clem Harris candidate uh, who's seeking a nomination to be the representative for the 22nd Congressional District. Bail reform in New York was some, there's, there's, there's mixed reviews about that, right? On the other hand, we needed it, but some say it went too far. Where do you stand on bail reform? And is this, do you side with uh, those who say it needs to be reformed again? Uh, the answer to that question uh, is uh, is is no. I I don't think that it needs to be reformed again. Listen, I'm in favor of fair bail reform. I absolutely am in favor of bail fair bail reform. What I'm not in favor of is ultimately reducing the accountability measures for anyone that is charged uh, with a crime. I'm in, I'm someone who has spent his entire uh, the early years of his life, um, dedicated to fair forms of uh, of law enforcement and criminal justice. In this particular case, I do think that we need to ensure that we have uh, bail reform that conforms with the Constitution, but also reform that speaks to the importance of accountability. And so part of the reason why they wanted it because there was little discretion. Uh, judges didn't have discretion in sentencing and now they don't have it, you know, they don't have as much as they had. So should they have more discretion um, than they have? Or, well, let me go, let me say it a different way. What, what some are saying is that because of bail reform, people are back out in the streets and there's not, they're not being held accountable for, for things that they're doing. And, so in some places, you see a lot more smash and grabs, things of that nature, because they are not necessarily going to be held for that kind of stuff. And so people just go into, because I, I, and I'll give you an example. I went somewhere, where was I going? Oh, I was, cons I went for sneakers and none of what they had on display was actually in their inventory. Like, do you have that? Well, we don't keep as much or they didn't bring out as many because he said people walk out the door with them. And I was like, why do you feel like he had to tell me that? But then I thought about it. I said, oh, this is this whole thing about we are concerned about uh, shoplifting and there's really nothing we can do about it. So, I mean, that's where that's where my train of thought was going. Your thoughts? My thoughts are essentially this. We learned um, in our uh, reform of the Rockefeller drug laws that taking away the discretion of judges was a huge, huge problem. That problem uh, rendered um, more power to uh, district attorneys and it took- judges, Mandatory minimums, right? Right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. it took judges completely out of a very important part of the criminal justice system. I am very much for ensuring that judges have the right um, to uh, have discretion in these particular, um, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, bail reform. I also uh, believe that we should not have a turnkey society, right? This is, should not be 
uh, about you know clearing uh, the jails so that those who were just charged with something are immediately back on the street. Again, I'm very much for bail reform that conforms with the Constitution, bail reform that places judges' discretion back at the center of our criminal justice system. There is a reason why they go to law school. There is a reason why we, the public, elect them as judges. We should allow them to do their job. And if they don't do their job, then as voters, we should hold them accountable. Well, as a police officer, you know that speaking of this system, this system has unfairly targeted black and brown folk uh, who make up a, a large percentage of arrests. This has been well documented. So is there, from your vantage point, uh, things that uh, legislatively can be done uh, when you can see that uh, statistically uh, we're still seeing disparities in arrests um, and even um, uh, even when uh, good intentions. And, and I know that there's efforts at reform in the city of Syracuse, for example, but overall, what changes? What, you know, does your skin color still matter when it comes to law enforcement? And if, if, and if you say law is blind and justice is blind, then why do we have such a disparity? And is there anything from your vantage point as an uh, elected, potentially elected to uh, Congress that you see needs to be done about that? So let me uh, first say again, thank you for a very important question. Um, let us not, uh, you know, sort of beat around the bush on this issue, right? Racism is very much alive um, within our particular uh, institutions. And I want to emphasize systemic forms. Mm -hmm. so, I fundamentally believe that um, every individual who puts on the uniform um, or the vast majority of those who put on the uniform, put on the uniform with the intent on doing the job to the best of their particular ability. I do believe that the vast majority of people uh, seek to see others as human beings. That being said, we cannot ignore systemic racism um, and systemic racism does still exist. I uh, have been thinking very much about this. I've actually assembled a, uh, a council of, um, of law enforcement uh, experts, uh, some who are retired, uh, many in fact are all retired to be uh, my council of advisors on, on issues associated with law enforcement. One of the things that we began to sort of understand uh, is that um, supporting law enforcement and supporting social justice are not diametrically opposed concepts. Mm -hmm. The two sides of the same coin. Uh, to be clear, um, Brother George, I am an original and long-term member of the New York State Police or the New York State Troopers Guardians Association. Um, we uh, joined the state police way back when and started the Guardians Association because we believed that law enforcement, good law enforcement, also came down on the side of social justice. We have continued to advocate that particular point. We believe that you can support law enforcement, as I said, and support social justice. We also believe that uh, inter, or at least I believe, 
that intercultural education is absolutely essential. That must be a part of the training, both for incoming recruits and for veterans, quite frankly. We uh, also believe, I also believe um, that in addition to this particular issue, we have to have strong accountability measures. Of that, there can be no doubt. Mm. People must be held accountable for police brutality. They must be held accountable for abuse of their authority. But we also, or I also recognize that law enforcement people, of which I was one, are human beings, human beings like any other human being. And these are human beings that uh, for the longest period of time, because of the culture, uh, were not really able to speak about issues involving mental health. One of the major uh, policy uh, initiatives that I'm gonna put forward is increasing support for mental health um, because mental health is a huge part of this discussion that doesn't get discussed. Um, I also uh, want to increase uh, the ability uh, to have training programs uh, that will bring increasingly into uh, law enforcement people who are working in, uh, in the areas of mental health, uh, such as um, uh, social workers, people who have uh, masters in social work, uh, and I say this because law enforcement officers are not trained to deal with people who have and suffer from mental health issues. Um, but the expectation is that they will address these issues. Well, you can't address them if you're not trained. But if we are looking to increase the capacity for law enforcement to serve and serve equitably and serve uh, in a way that reflects the full humanity of everyone, that we must equip them with, with, the, with the tools and the resources to do that. And I think uh, legislation that would allow MSWs who are trained in this background to respond with an officer, particularly when an officer has a issue involving mental health is a very important intervention. <laughs> what do you say to folks who are concerned about jobs beyond Micron, uh, beyond, uh, well, Micron is a big deal, certainly. Uh, but in addition to that, and so there's two folks, two, two track. Let me just say something about that. So Micron is going to be a big deal. There's lots of opportunity. Very high skilled jobs will be needed. Uh, and there may be some other types of jobs that will be av available uh, many of them, right? Uh, and then there's concern that maybe there are going to be folks who are not going to be able to participate in that potential um, opportunity for this region. So that's one one thing. So in addition to Micron, what other opportunities do you see for job growth and economic prosperity in this region? Now, Micron's a big deal, right? Uh, but uh, are there other opportunities that you see that would lead to greater economic uh, prosperity jobs if in this community? So that is a really, really great question. Um, you know, when I think of Micron, I think of GE. Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, GE uh, was a major economic engine for uh, upstate New York. And what it did was not only provide great um, manufacturing opportunities for working class families, it also created uh, great opportunities, secondary and tertiary um, uh, economic opportunities because it allowed for entrepreneurs to develop businesses to speak to uh, the, uh, the great workforce that GE had. Micron uh, can potentially be uh, the GE for uh, the central New York uh, area that um, GE was uh, for um, uh, the Mohawk Valley uh, region. Um, and I emphasize small businesses because um, small businesses it, uh, are the economic engines of, um, of New York State, certainly of this particular congressional district, and I would make the argument for the nation itself. That is one of the reasons why um, I uh, led uh, not only on uh, making sure that small businesses in the in the state uh, remained open during the Great Recession. It is also the primary reason why I expanded opportunities or worked to led the governor's efforts to expand opportunities for minority and women-owned businesses. To understand uh, econ uh, economic development, community development, is to understand the strength of their small business institutions. These are anchor institutions. When anchor institutions, anchor economic institutions do well, the community uh, does well, right? Uh, and so we have to not only for focus on the microns, but we also have to recognize that um, the small businesses are the true engines of economic development and prosperity for everyday people, right? And so uh, my efforts will be focusing not only in ensuring that Micron has the ability to, uh, to thrive and to ensure that working families there will be able to thrive, but to also recognize that of the significance of a micron is how it can spur greater economic development on the small business level and how those small businesses can become strong economic engines stimulating economic development within hard pressed communities. It will be the equivalent of ensuring that young people have an opportunity to have a job when they're out of school. It will provide those who are seeking uh, to have um, the opportunity to learn how to work a business, right? So these small businesses are not only providing economic opportunity, but they're also providing an entrepreneurial training for young people to see that you can not only have a job that pays a modest wage that will allow you to have a home and secure your family, but you can also become an entrepreneur, right? And so that is my sort of take on how we might be able to spur economic development. You know, Micron, just for those who may not know, you know, we throw around all these words. Micron announced uh, that they would invest $100 billion over 20 years, which would, the ripple would be around 50,000 new jobs to the area, 9,000 of which would be directly attributed to, to Micron. That's what that is. Well, listen, Clemmy, we got a lot, 
uh, we've got more time to talk than we have more talk than time we have left. Final thoughts from you about uh, your interest in uh, New York 22 and what what's going to be the most passionate thing you're going to fight for. Well, uh, as I began, um, one of the most passionate things I'm going to fight for is bringing a radically reducing the scourge of gun violence. This is extremely important um, because uh, without stability, uh, we cannot have economic development. We can't even have uh, a, a, a normal or regular, whatever, however one defines that, uh, healthy um, uh, foundation for life. Um, and so addressing gun violence is going to be one of my top uh, top issues. Um, dealing with the threats against civil liberties, um, particularly uh, voting rights, particularly issue involving a woman's right to have full autonomy over uh, her body is also going to be very important. But the other important thing that I'm going to be doing um, is not operating off the notion that I have all of the answers. That is the epitome of arrogance. It, it does not allow for empathy, which is what I'm all about. I'm going to be spending a significant amount of time traveling through the diverse uh, sectors of this uh, district to meet with voters, to understand what their concerns are, because this campaign is not merely about what Clemmie Harris will do, it is what Clemmie Harris will advocate off of the will of the people. Um, my success is based off of the, the whole district itself getting behind uh, me and me understanding what their diverse issues are. And I'm guaranteed I can do that. Final thought, what is Brandon Williams not doing that you think me, why you think he should be retired? Very simple. Um, he's non-existent. Uh, Brandon Williams is uh, someone who uh, has held a, if, if any, uh, a very small amount of town halls. Um, he is someone who uh, voted with a caucus that were prepared to allow the nation to default on its bills and scuttle the economy. I might add that that initial vote um, that he and uh, and others in his caucus gave threatened uh, support for veterans. Um, and this is an area where veterans um, have reside. Veteran support should uh, not be a political football. It should not be something that is played with but equally important, I believe that Brandon Williams philosophically is on the wrong side of history. Um, and so therefore, I believe that he needs to be retired. He also voted to censor U.S. Uh, uh, Congressman um, uh, Adam Schiff uh, for uh, his comments about investigation into former President Trump. He voted uh, in the Russia uh, thing he voted to censor Adam Schiff. So uh, that's also something to think about. All right, Clemmy Harris, also known as Clem. Uh, what's your website, Clem? ClemmyHarrisForCongress.com. Please uh, come to uh, take a look at my campaign uh, announcement uh, video. You will uh, see my platform. Uh, you will see the various 
uh, policies that I will uh, look to uh, push if I'm granted the privilege uh, to be the next representative. I mean, it's a long journey. I do have to look at the elephant in the in the room. You know, being an African American representing this district uh, would be historic if that were to happen. Um, are you prepared for that? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Um, I'm prepared for that from the standpoint that um, history tells us that leadership is not uh, based on uh, the past. It is based on the moment. I so think is the district prepared then? Well, that's a completely different question. Um, is the district prepared? I will simply say this. I believe that the district is prepared um, because I believe that the district is much more interested in ideas. I think that the district is much more interested in people uh, who are running that recognize that politics, all politics are local. The, I think that the district will support anyone who is willing to meet every individual where they are. I think that the district will support people who recognize, or me, I should say, who recognizes that every vote matters. Um, and so I believe that the district will support an African-American uh, to become uh, the next congressman for New York 22, because fundamentally, I believe that the people of this district want someone who will be a strong advocate for their interest. Clemmy Harris. Um, candidate for New York 22. They're starting early <laughs> and we wanted to give uh, Clem an opportunity to to meet some of you. Clem, thanks for joining us. Inspiration Thank for the Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. Appreciate you. Appreciate you.